Hi, I'm Barbara Duke, Managing Editor here at Directions Magazine, and welcome to another Directions Mag podcast, co-hosted today with our friends at Nearmap. Digital transformation, we see it daily, but what does it mean to you? The words can infer massive change, change that many may not be ready to take on, but recent times have taught us why it's so critical to embrace tools that can accelerate your digital transformation. GIS technology has risen to the spotlight for those in government, especially as they work to keep our communities safe in the face of adversity, but the benefits go far beyond. With access to the most up-to-date location intelligence, you'll be on track to enhancing your workflows, no matter your needs. But there are challenges to overcome, and NearMap, which delivers content and high-res aerial content via its wide-scale proactive survey capture program, can help. From procurement to best practices for leveraging data internally and externally, hear from industry experts as they walk through how innovative aerial solutions and geospatial technology can propel your organization forward. Welcome to Brett Clark, James Kelt, and Shane Burnham to discuss today's topic, True Location Intelligence, the Core of Digital Transformation for GIS. Welcome, gentlemen. Well, thanks, Barbary. We're excited to be on the podcast today, as always, uh, working with Directions Magazine. And I'm very excited to be joined uh, by two other folks who I get to work with. Uh, again, my name is Brett Clark. I'm our director for our public sector uh, here in North America at NearMap US. Uh, I'm also joined by Shane Burnham from the city of Carmel, Indiana, and James Kelp from GTG. So I want to first turn to Shane to give a quick introduction on himself, tell us a little bit about what he does in the city of Carmel, and then we'll move over to James, and then we'll jump right into it. So Shane. Yeah, uh, I am Shane Burnham, a GIS analyst with the city of Carmel. Um, I've had a long, illustrious career in GIS for about 15 years now, um, and here I am working for my hometown. Um Part of the part of what I do for the city is, is I act as our city works administrator, and I do a lot of high level uh, administration tasks um, with the ArcGIS Suite Pro portal and uh, the Enterprise uh, Suite. And for those listening that may not be familiar with Carmel, Indiana, it is Roundabout City, USA. If I understand correctly, right, Shane? <laughs> That's correct. We're up to. <laughs> We have 134 roundabouts and counting. We are the roundabout capital. So, wow. so be sure to take a, take a look at that. Take a look at that on your map when you get the chance. That's right. Yes. You, you keep putting them in too. And it's a city, your population is a little over 100,000 now, right? Or getting close to it? Uh, yes. We just hit that milestone in 2019. Wow. Okay. Perfect. And that's, again, for context, that is directly north of Indianapolis, Indiana. So just a little context and and fun facts there. Thank you, Shane. Appreciate you being on here. James, let's hop over to you. Yes. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Shane. Uh, Enjoyed. Um, Thanks for the time today to meet with everybody for today's podcast. Um, My name is James Kelt. I'm the Vice President of Corporate Software with Geographic Technologies Group. We're a full-service GIS firm. Uh, we're, we're focused on North America, local government, GIS, and geospatial services and solutions. But we've been in business since 1997. I'm in my 19th year with the company, so I've been around the block a few times. Uh, but, um, yeah, we're excited about today's podcast and the relationship that we've built with NearMap and also the Esri Business Partner relationship that, uh, that we all share. So, yeah, thanks for the time. 
Absolutely. Yeah, well, thank you both. James Word, I, I echo from the NearMap side, the excitement and enthusiasm we have around partnering with GTG. Uh, you know, like them, we are also ESRI partners and work within that network. And so uh, we're hoping for the listeners today that they get a good flavor of, you know, a, a GIS services firm like GTG, a, you know, location intelligence firm like NearMap, and then someone perhaps like those of you listening, who's an actual GIS uh, professional at a local government like Shane. And so we want to make sure we we kind of got the three stooges here <laughs> on the <laughs> on the line and, and talked through uh, GIS. So so to restate our, our theme and the title of this podcast, just for one's benefit, the true location intelligence, the core of digital transformation for GIS. Uh, and what we wanted to do was touch on a few topics that will kind of meander our way through during the, the next several minutes centering around this theme. So to, to give some context, NearMap, uh, just since following the introductions here, uh, we are a, a location intelligence firm where we proactively and primarily go out and collect aerial imagery data. It's that core data that can then be used to extract uh, feature layers, uh, utilized to scope out uh, more roundabouts, for example, uh, and we'll certainly dive into some use cases, and we're going to go to Shane first on this around things like impervious area layers and, and other details like that. But what we've seen in the market that I've found is, is unique, and Shane, you're going to have to correct me where I'm off or, or back me up here, is, is a, a bit what we saw happen to the music industry. So stick with me on this analogy, okay? Uh, traditionally, if people wanted aerial imagery, they would issue an RFP. It's a big, long process. There's a one-off shot that costs a big wad of cash. So it's typically a, a capital expense instead of an operating expense. So they, they try to break that over a few years. Uh, it's a one-off flight and they stretch it for as long as they can, make it last one, two, three, sometimes five or more years. Uh, it's a lot like how we used to buy music. You used to, you used to go to the record store and you, you buy the record. It's yours, you keep it, but that's, that's that. You know, if there's flaws in it, you're stuck with it. Uh, if it starts to get worn out from listening to side A too much, that's on you. Uh, and then we, we kind of evolved as an industry. We started doing CDs uh, and things like that. Then the MP3 came along, but then iTunes happened. We could go in and say, you know what? I'm thinking of my daughters here. I really like this song from Taylor Swift, but the rest of her album, I don't need. And so I'm gonna buy that one song for 99 cents, right? That's not my personal playlist. That's my daughter's, just a caveat there. Uh, but we even evolved beyond that to where now you pay something like nine, $10 a month and you have access to any song you want, essentially throughout the world. Uh, and you can stream that onto your device. You can save it on playlists, et cetera. And if you stop subscribing, you know, you lose access. That's kind of the trade-off. But you no longer have to buy and get stuck with this data. And that's really what NearMap has tried to do. And we see other aspects of the GIS industry going this way to where, you know what, it's okay to be in the cloud. And it's okay to subscribe versus, you know, taking up terabytes of space on a hard drive just because you feel like you have to, you know, quote unquote, own the data. Now, certainly there's always a use for having a local copy and that's something that's easy to do. But that's really where we've seen from our perspective, again, coming from NearMap's perspective, the industry kind of transform. So I'm curious, Shay, does that 
does that analogy hold water with you? Can you re relate to that through, as as you said, your illustrious GIS career so far? <laughs> Brett, that that is that is impressive. That is a fantastic analogy. That is the first I've heard that here right right now. Um, yeah, oh. um, it's 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 it right now. So so kind of going back with with Carmel is Carmel. Uh, Traditionally, Carmel resides in what's Hamilton County, Indiana, which is the adjacent county to Marion County, which is where Indianapolis is. And Hamilton County is a—it's uh, your average-sized U.S. county. It's about 400 square miles. Um, and Hamilton County, uh, traditionally in the past, uh, we have gotten that annual orthophotography flyover, um, which, as we all know, you know, it's annual. Um, and that was only if if the county had it in their budget in that fiscal year to buy into that flyover having that expensive flyover you know you know playing devil's advocate to brett's point once you once you have that flyover you do own it but it's a capital operating expense it's very expensive to do and with with, with our area in carmel and really hamilton county as a whole the the rapid growth um we got to the point where sometimes we would have that aerial every year. Sometimes we would have that aerial every three years. There was one point where we didn't have an ortho flyover for, I think it was four or five years. With with near map now, um, with Carmel hitting that 100,000 resident milestone, like we were just talking about a couple of years ago, having being subscribed to that as a service and having that up-to-date imagery right now, near map uh, flies the city of Carmel area uh, and the rest of the Indy Metro twice a year. Um, it, it, it's 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 revolutionary, I would say. That might be kind of a, a deep, strong term there. But um, Carmel I'll has accept just it. That's fine. Oh, yeah, okay, good. <laughs> uh, Carmel has Carmel just has taken it and ran with it. Um, and and here in a little while, I'm going to speak more to um, how we've taken that imagery and how we've integrated it with our GIS data sets and keeping them up to date with the with the infrastructure blitz in Carmel and the rapid expansion of Carmel. No, that's and that's that's really interesting, and I, I appreciate you sharing that, Shane. And, it, and it's validating to hear uh, because we see that a lot. And I would say too, Carmel is unique because again, you're right. You're kind of the I would say the northernmost non-Indianapolis suburb uh, because you're in a different county, and so you have the benefit of being in you know kind of that urban core, if you will. But even then. I've spoken with many other counties and cities where they would kill to have a once a year flyover. That's a luxury. You know, we typically see every other or three years is the average, even in some urban centers. And I'm curious, uh, you know, James, I, I'd like to bring you in on this. Sure. You, you yeah. talk with a lot of different local governments. Uh, you know, are you seeing this as well, that this kind of... Uh, shift away from the older way of doing things towards being more accepting of SaaS, if you will, software as a service or cloud-based technologies? Absolutely, yes. So um, in my experience, whenever I talk to agencies that leverage and need good uh, uh, aerial photography and, and, and base mat raster imagery, you know, the, the, the challenge always is, well, how current is this data? The first question I typically get asked when I show, you know, a various a data set is, when was that taken, right? And if if it's three years old, it's three years old, and the world changes uh, dynamically, as we all know. So 
I get that quite a bit, especially in, in um, uh, a lot of different departments um, like emergency operations, um, even parks and recreation, um, that data changes quite a bit. So having current up-to-date imagery, um, I think is invaluable uh, in my client base. Um, so I, I think Shane hit the mark on the, on the head there when, when he had mentioned that it's, it's absolutely a necessity to have that most current up-to-date information, no matter who the user is. In, in the beginning, I did say revolutionary, you know, when, when <laughs> I was connected with Airmap for the first time, I was like, so we can get multiple flyovers within a year? Get out of here. I got to see this. And, and sure enough, uh, yeah, here we are using it and rocking and rolling with it. So that was my, that yeah. was my color commentary. Continue. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. This is not a paid promotion, by the way, <laughs> to make that. But I, I appreciate the plug by by Shane. It's absolutely true. You know, it's it's something that's unique to NearMap in that I'm. Um, I kind of joke. So, I actually grew up in Noblesville, Indiana, which is hometown rival of Carmel. At least we claim that they might not. But uh, I I grew up there. I worked at the local KFC. And uh, people would jokingly ask me, you know, what are the 11 herbs and spices? And I said, I have no idea they just come into this marked bag. Uh, NearMap's ability to go out and rapidly collect uh, and accurately collect that data, that's a bit of our 11 herbs and spices, if you will. Uh, you know, it's that technology that we've developed and patented that allows us to do that. You know, that can in, uh, enable local governments, especially whether it's like James mentioned, parks and rec or uh, emergency management, you name it, to stay on top of those changes. Uh, the discussion point comes up a lot, and I, I'd be curious to get both of y'all's feedback on this, is that especially from GIS professionals, we get asked, you know, well, what's the spatial accuracy of your data? And they, they wanna really hone in on the, the root mean square, if I'm saying that correctly, the RMSE. Uh, because they, you know, they want it as close as possible, which we totally appreciate. And we have very accurate imagery. But oftentimes, I chuckle to myself a little bit because they say, well, you know, we, we have five-inch, uh, you know, accuracy imagery, even though it's a, you know, an, an eight-inch or 12-inch uh, resolution shot, but it's several years old. And so my, my counter argument to them is that's great that you have very, very, you know, right dead center imagery, but is that really accurate? Because the James point, that was three years ago. Are you telling me that nothing has changed in your area in three years? So what I feel is unique to, to NearMap is the temporal nature of this data. That it used to be this one-off thing that had to be just absolutely dead on because you were stuck with it for a year, two, three, five years. I'm not saying it's just quick and dirty because uh, our imagery isn't, but there is now I feel like a greater emphasis on the temporal nature of data and data sets. Uh, would y'all agree? Am I off on that or, or what would be your thoughts on that? I, I would I would agree 100%. I've got actually a personal antidote. Um, I'm down here in Texas um, and I'm sure everybody has heard in the news the last month, uh, the big winter storm that we had down here. Uh, we yeah. don't handle we don't handle the cold very well down here. It's it's something that's <laughs> uh, very unique to us. Well, we got we got about 12, 14 inches of snow dumped on us, and sub-zero temps for better part of a week. And when we thawed out, I actually had three neighbors in my neighborhood um, with water breaks, 
when your pipes bust and so, and so forth. And I was able to, I literally brought up the near map imagery uh, and I was able to zoom in in front of everybody's house that I knew had a water main break or a, a, a water pipe break and use the measuring tool because I could see the meter box, the blue meter box in everybody's front yard. Now we had an, a general idea where it was, but we're covered with 14 inches of snow. So there was a, 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 we had to find the meter box. I measured it from the sidewalk or a tree in the area. And then we dug out each one, got to the meter box and was able to turn off their water and save probably thousands of dollars for each home just, just because of the water damage. So wow. there was three, like I said, there was three folks in my neighborhood. I said, I can find your meter box. I don't, I've never seen it, but I can find it. Right. So that accuracy, I was within a foot, maybe two feet, you know, 14 feet yeah. from, you know, due east of, of the of the mailbox, that kind of thing. We'd get out our shovels and start digging, and sure enough, there was a meter box. So, um, wow, yes, you know, it, it was it was impressive, uh, and in a timely manner, we were able to locate those those valves. So, so James, kind of kind of piggybacking on that, and we'll again, we'll probably get to this later on, but our utilities use near map extensively. With all the uh, the rapid growth in the city of Carmel right now, uh, to update all of our utility data, all of our water meter data, um, having that having that multiple flyover, you know, I guess luxury is what we'll call it. Um, they're able to stay on top of that. It's just, it's yeah, it's it's great having that up to date imagery. And yeah, that's, that's, when, that's when we know we're successful as GIS professionals, right? People are using GIS without realizing it. You know, traditionally, that sat in the hands of a few, uh, you know, highly trained GIS professionals. Well, as we all know, the industry is moving to a point where GIS is a tool for everybody, geospatial tools. And good, accurate data, especially aerial photography, oblique imagery, and so forth, um, is the, the base of that. Is and, and you know, when people start using it and leveraging it, it the flow, the workflow and the solutions um, uh, really hit home to the, the various users, whether it be internal, like Shane at your, uh, at your organization and the departments that you serve, but also the residents, the citizens and residents that you serve as well can use these tools. That's a great point that I want to put an extra emphasis on for uh, our listening base is that, you know, you know, you've been successful with a, a geospatial program when there are people that are doing quote unquote GIS and they don't even know it. I love that quote by James because it's absolutely true. We, uh, I'm reminded of one of our longstanding customers in the city of Chicago, their Office of Emergency Management and Communications, which is essentially police, fire, EMS, 911 response. Uh, when they first began implementing NearMap within their uh, dispatch centers, and again, for context, they have anywhere from about 200 to 400 active 911 workstations fielding between 13 and 15,000 911 calls per day. So massive volume. It got to the point where dispatchers and call takers were starting to place bets on when the new image would come up. Uh, when another image would be posted. Uh, that's that's GIS, right? They're doing that. They're like, oh, wow, this is a new, you know, it might just seem like an image, but that's that's geospatial intelligence. That's location intelligence. And that's transforming the way uh, not only the people operate, but it also has been changing their expectation because 
I would venture to guess, uh, Shane, that the city of Carmel, if let's say we we shut off service today and you went back to once per year, that would no longer be good enough. That there would there's an I would venture to guess there's an itch now that would have to be scratched that says one flyover year does not satisfy our needs, be it utility or otherwise. Is that a is that a fair assumption? Brett, that that would be a huge itch. That would be a poison <laughs> ivy level related <laughs> itch. Um, yeah, no, it's so so kind of. I'll, I'll I'll harp on our. I'll give the abridged version of our of our near map origin story. The the main reason why we consider near map in the first place is uh, Carmel has. Um, we have a hard surface, impervious surface building program that's through our stormwater department. And um, in order to keep those polygons and GIS up to up to date, um, having one fly over a year wasn't cutting it. Uh, with, the, with the growth in Carmel, um, every commercial property gets a variable rate based upon the size of the GIS feature, the size of the polygon, the square, the square footage of it. Um, and with all of the all of the infrastructure going in with roundabouts, you have development, you have plazas, you have retail. That it was getting to the point where we weren't able to keep up with that that singular once a year flyover. And then, lo and behold, near map comes along, and I'm like, oh my god, you know, how in the heck am I supposed to keep up with this? Here's the solution right here. Um, and then from there, the, the rest is history. Uh, we, as I said earlier, keep our uh, utilities, water meters up to date with it. Um, we use it for addressing purposes, keeping address points up to date. Um, with the being roundabout capital USA, we keep street center lines up to date that our fancy roundabouts lie upon. Um, the, the near map is is the the uh, hydrocortisone cream that would definitely salve <laughs> that that poison ivy itch that that Brett was alluding to. <laughs> you're, oh shade, <laughs> you're uh, you're bringing up you're making me laugh because again being a, a native Midwesterner who loved to venture out into the woods, um, poison ivy unfortunately is something I'm all too familiar with. So I. Uh, but if if it were my mother, it would have been calamine lotion uh, salving that itch. But uh, that's a whole other podcast topic. But no, it's <laughs> oh, oh, oatmeal <laughs> bath, right? oatmeal bath, oh, bath. There you go, oatmeal <laughs> bath. Yep. Uh, maybe an old wives' tale of uh, taking a, a banana peel and rubbing it on there. I don't know. There's a lot of things that never seem to work enough to satisfy it. But uh, you've both touched on this because you know. And I currently reside in Fishers, Indiana, which is the eastern neighbor of Carmel that is also a boom town growing leaps and bounds. For context, in the early 90s, both Carmel and Fishers, I believe, were less than 20,000 people. So now in about 20, 30 years, it's boomed to over 100,000 each, I believe, each city. Texas, obviously, where James is located, continues to build and build and build. And so I I am thinking of back to James, your your personal anecdote, as you said about, look, you know, trying to find these meter boxes. I would go a step further and say, if that had occurred, you know, what if, you know, people are calling and saying, hey, my neighbor's house is flooding or there's some sort of event that's happening. I need you to come out. And when they go to pull up their base map, 
it's just a blank field because they haven't updated it for and in texas or in central indiana they build neighborhoods like you know they're just going out of style even if your uh, image is only a year old you could be seeing a blank field when they're like no i'm in, I'm in a new development uh I imagine that could also pose a very real problem for places where they're experiencing rapid growth, like y'all have in Texas or in central Indiana, where we're located, or the, the other problem that we've seen in places like Cleveland or Detroit, where they have a massive blight problem. So they're demoing down these derelict structures left and right to the, to the tune of nine to 10,000 structures a year, for example, in our discussions with the city of Detroit, they mentioned that kind of number. Uh, I, I just feel like, especially in places of rapid change, having more up-to-date information and getting that accurate data is absolutely crucial. Um, I'm wondering, James, if there's any other stories that, that you can think of or use cases that have come out of your discussions with other clients that you work with absolutely. along those lines. You bet. Yeah. And I think exactly what you hit on there, Brad, is change detection. Um, not only looking back in time at what an area um, used to look like, but what is it like today? You know, I, I often talk with uh, building permit folks and the permitting department. And one big thing that always comes up to them is um, being able to identify uh, uh, parcels or locations where Maybe a new structure was built, someone installed a shed or a swimming pool, above ground swimming pool without a permit. And looking at that change detection will quickly give them the ability to say, well, in spring of 2020, you know, there was, a, there was nothing in their backyard. Now we're looking at, um, you know, uh, uh, nine months later, there's, a, there's an above ground swimming pool there. Well, let's overlay the permitting data coming out of their ERP system or their community development database on top of that GIS, you know, on top of that near map data to see if there was a permit issued for it. And if not, well, that, that's a problem. They, they built a structure without a permit. I get that quite a bit. Um, I, I touched on public safety. That's a huge uh, uh, user of this type of information. Um, you know, a lot of police departments, sheriff's departments want to do reconnaissance in the field. Maybe they're going to serve a felony warrant at a, at a location and they want to get the lay of the land so they can uh, put their teams in certain locations. They want to visualize the building. Uh, are there, you know, bars on the windows? You know, very high, res high good high resolution stuff to make intelligent decisions before they deploy officers to a location. Um, they want as much information as they can about that about, about that particular structure. Uh, emergency yeah. operations centers, that's another big thing. Pre-disaster um, and post-disaster recovery. What did the building look like before the tornado hit or before the flooding event hit? So we can do the assessment of those particular locations. Um, parks and recreation I touched on as well earlier, you know, doing asset inventory. What do we have in our parks? A lot of GIS folks serve the entire organization. Shane, I'm, I'm sure you can speak to this. Uh, and there's only so many hours in the day, you know, but, you know, we also want to engage fully to all these departments. So doing an inventory of the park assets and the condition of each one and park planning, maybe we want to invest in a, in a green space and make baseball fields out of it, soccer fields out of it. Bringing up that near map data helps us to make those decisions before spending time in the field and, and, and doing that uh, out of office type work. Those, those right. are just a, a few examples that I've seen, and I'm sure, Shane, you have plenty as well. 
Yeah, and I would quickly interject, James, if I could. Uh, going back to appeal, or excuse me, back to um, a code enforcement, uh, it reminds me of appraisal as well. Uh, when they're looking to see changes that have been added so that they can uh, you know, update the tax records, things like that. One of the things I ran into a lot was it's not just that uh, you know, updated aerial information is useful to actually do the initial assessment to update the tax records, but it becomes an invaluable tool when you start the appeals process for when people are coming in and shaking their fist at you and saying, hey, why did my taxes go up? And you're like, hey, you built a huge extension on the back. P.S. You didn't get a permit. Yeah. And, you know, being able to pull up an image and say, you know, this is time stamped. See, uh, it, it becomes a, a transparency tool, a communication tool, if you will, uh, that goes beyond to an early point you made, uh, James, about it's not just other departments, but it also can be citizens as well that are benefiting from this. Because now, you know, there's there's more frequent updates. And I've found scenarios, I think it might've been with some of the appraisal districts in Texas or, or elsewhere that I'm, I'm thinking of in this case, but they only were getting an image every three years. And so they saw an image from 2017, it didn't have the pool, let's say. And then in 2020, it did have the pool. Well, the assumption has to be if there's no permit in 2018 and 2019, the pool was there. And so we have to back tax you. Well, then you got an irate citizen coming in the office saying, no, 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 this is wrong. You're saying, well, look, all we have is 2017 and 2020. We have this gap. We have no choice to back tax you for that. And you didn't pull any permits. And so you're kind of stuck. But if you have even one update year, uh, uh, per year or multiple updates a year, you see that timeline and you can identify not just, hey, there's change now, but you can watch the progression of it or you can more accurately pinpoint when that change actually occurred. Uh, and that's, that's something that we've run into that's proved very useful from having more updated information. Uh, laying aside all of the other uh, myriad of use cases that that you've mentioned yeah. i multiple yeah 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 it really and you know that's something i'm i'm curious shane because james did bring up you know often gis services all sorts of departments and people how has having more updated imagery uh like near map how has that you know improved or expanded how has that changed you know your role being GIS at the city. Well, it, it goes back to to bringing bringing GIS to a non-GIS user, and and I feel like at the government level, you know, I might be speaking a little bit out of turn here. GIS isn't so much, you know, you know, you've got the experts, you've got the SMEs in GIS, you know, you got you got the people creating the points and lines in GIS day in and day out, but GIS is is becoming more of a of a bi tool it's becoming it's becoming more of a um tool to, to conduct analysis with another tool in the tool belt and um you know sometimes all people want to see is just i need an aerial that's all i need i don't, I don't need arcgis pro i don't need ArcMap. all i want to do is just log on and i need to see an aerial really quickly of an area and near map has it provides that it's 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 beauty i feel like is is it 
it gives you that quick um, <laughs> picture uh, of an area of uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Basinga, nailed it on the head. Um, you know, it gives you, it gives you that, that visual of, of an intersection or a property for assessment or if planning is using it for um, any kind of change or variance, they can quickly see progression over the years. Um, but conversely, conversely, it also is beneficial to the GIS user because NearMap is it plays nicely with portal you can consume it as a service inside portal you can consume it as a service that image service inside uh, ArcGIS pro as well um so so you know it it, it brings gis to the non-gis user but it also at the same time augments the ability for gis users and gis experts to do their jobs as well yeah no i i think that's kind of a, a great finalizing uh, statement to, to our discussion today because it really I think speaks to how we're seeing the industry transform you know one thing I've come to appreciate about the GIS industry is that uh, they, they're the most keen that I've seen to educate people to get people involved they're very passionate which is something I love and so while others might see you know this transformation this migrating to where non-GIS people can do GIS too, rather than being seen as a threat, it, I, I, I have perceived it as almost a celebration. Awesome. You know, more people are appreciating what we do. We're more than just the math people, right? It's, we're more than just those people that dink around and update the maps and the lines and stuff. It's no, this, this bleeds into every aspect of running a local government entity. Uh, or even on the state or federal level. It, it bleeds into so many aspects of our everyday lives, very, very real things, down to paint striping and potholes to digging up your neighbor's uh, water valve to shut it off. I mean, it's it runs the gamut. And so that's where I feel like we're seeing that transition and change. And from our perspective at, at NearMap, what we're trying to do is make sure that we have data that's up-to-date, accurate, very high quality, but then rather than saying, hey, come learn a new platform like NearMap, being flexible enough to say, you know what, if you utilize Esri and, and, or, and you're using you know, GTG as your full service provider for that, we can integrate into that. If you need to take our content and plug it into CityWorks uh, you know, or, or Rapid Deploy or some other type of tool, you can do that. We can enable that. It's, it's becoming this kind of living, breathing organism that can easily uh, play well with all the other kids on the playground. And so... Uh, I want to just pass it around again to Shane or James to make any final comments before we wrap up. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's you know, kind of kind of some things that are on the horizon uh, with Carmel is um, it's it's I've been holding up the process. We we're looking to get it integrated with CityWorks very soon, probably here within the month. Um, that's going to help out um, our utility staff tremendously. Um, when they're making site visits or doing any kind of asset management or asset maintenance. Um, and we're also exploring um, some of the uh, AI options um, that NearMap provides um, for sensing uh, and picking up GIS features, above ground GIS features uh, around the city. Um, we're considering using uh, NearMap for possibly picking up light poles or solar panels. Um, those options are being researched, of course, but 
Um, we never really hit on those, but that's another service that NearMap provides as well. Yeah, another topic for another podcast. <laughs> There's so much to go over. I, I feel up all the time, but uh, no, that's fantastic. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, James. Over to you. You bet. Yeah. Well, I, I'm real excited about where the industry is going these days. I've seen in the last three years really more in in uh, new initiatives and new ways of viewing data and new ways of consuming GIS than than I have in my 20 plus years in the industry. So I think we're really in a in a great space right now for for taking this to a level that. And we, we all know we're GIS professionals, you know, we see this stuff as invaluable, but really getting it out to the to the folks in the and the, like we talked earlier, the non-GIS professionals is a huge, huge game changer for the industry. Um, you know, and 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 we're typically, you know, the, the head of the sphere with this type of stuff, but I want to share this with as many people as we can. You know, if I can share data and information and apps and tools and, and other uh, GIS geospatial solutions. Um, I see that as invaluable uh, for, for the industry. Uh, but the only thing I have left for you, Brett, is when are we going to go fly? Let's, let's get up. Let's go and uh, take the pictures. <laughs> That's I can, right. I can, I can get in a jump seat and see what we got up there. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I, <laughs> I, I would love to go up. That would be a, a fantastic experience. It, uh, you know, go and, as we call it, uh, mow the lawn in the sky. Since that's go. how we how we collect the imagery no absolutely absolutely just just, uh, just don't run into any poison ivy in the sky right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll avoid that for sure no i i want to thank you both uh james and shane uh for coming on today and, and chatting with us uh, and really a great conversation uh, i really appreciate all the insight and and just how relative and in touch with not only your own spheres but just kind of the industry in general so i really appreciate that uh, so I want to thank GTG, the city of Carmel, uh, thank NearMap, and, and last of all, our, our host and sponsor, I want to thank Directions Magazine for letting us be a part of this podcast, and we hope you all enjoy it, and have a great day.